of, of Islam. And, you know, we, we share some views that could differ from one another. And, you know, some people, and I've noticed it, that in some of our churches, some people do get offended when you bring a different portrait, a different image, a different description to Islam other than militancy and just brutality and suicide bombers and, and all this stuff. And anything else you bring to the picture, you offend some of the brethren. And to be honest with you, um, I, I couldn't care less if somebody would get you know, offended by that. The idea is this. What we do, and what I will share with you this morning, what I shared with you this morning was, was basically a general view as to what the scripture has to say about the other descendancy of Abraham. Now, this other descendancy of Abraham today uh, is known by Arabs. And Arabs are predominantly Muslims. Um, and this idea of Arabs and Muslims having to co-share with the promises of God to some people is preposterous. Can't be. Can't be. I mean, they're, they belong or they share some, some biblical truth with us. It can't be. It's impossible. Um, up until about a month ago, I took a couple months off from this duty. Uh, it's a telephone line, internet, radio program. Combined, those three. Sponsored by Central Filipino Church in Glendale. And it's run by Gwen um, Shorter. Some of, some of you might know her. Yeah. Gwen, she's, I think she's a medical profession. And, and she is running this network. And it's so interesting that uh, I was, my, my duty was to speak on Tuesday mornings at 7 in the morning. I don't know if some 15,000 people would join in on that line. And it would be, I'd be talking to these people and about half hour and everybody else would give questions. And so I was invited by this organization to, to share some of this um, and you know other details and so forth. Many people are fascinated by the fact that we have so much in common with Islam. And I will share with you today. But also, uh, after the, the explanations, after the presentations and so forth, I would get calls um, every now and then from irate individuals, Adventist individuals, um, labeling uh, Islam as an antichrist religion, as a demonic religion, Muhammad as a pedophile, this, that, and all that. And, and so they say, what in the world do we have in common with this religion? Why do we have to even consider this religion? They're just satanic and we just have to bring the gospel to them. Sure. Good luck. The church at large tried this method for the last 35 years. 33 years, I'll be very specific. Since the, the establishment of the Iranian Islamic government run by Ayatollah Khomeini. I don't know how many of you remember that guy. And since the exportation of militant Islam throughout the whole region, and as a promise that he made, I remember I was a little kid when Khomeini came into power, Khomeini said this, I will export 
this fundamental militant Islam to the rest of the world. Was he? Did he keep his promise? He has. And one of the results of that promise was 911. Khomeini is, an, is a revered spiritual leader in the whole world of Islam. But here's a fact. If we go by the media frenzy mentality approach, uh, which I did for since the beginning of my ministry in the late 90s, um, I came to a, to a conclusion that I have to prove to everybody and anybody that is advocating this kind of an approach that there might be some common bridges between us and Muslims. There might be some stuff in, in the Quran that we can use and all that. I was just bashing it. I was, you know, and one time I got a chance, an audience with um, a big organization called Common Ground. I just used one of their slides. And the keynote speaker was a world known specialist in contextualization. And his name was Jeff Hayes. I don't know if anybody... He's a non-Adventist. He was a, he's an evangelical Christian. And so I was given an audience with this man for one hour to state my case, my thesis, my research. And in that dissertation, I proved that the Quran is not inspired by God, that Muhammad is not an apostle of God, and Islam is a farce religion. They gave me one hour to present that. And I did. At the end of my presentation, Dr. Jeff Hayes said, you're right, you're right, you're right. However, you will not win a single Muslim to Jesus Christ with this approach. Does not take rocket science to find out if it works or not. The General Conference, the Adventist Church, has spent millions of dollars in promoting the classical evangelistic way of winning Muslims to Christ. Not one of the methods has worked. And so within the last nine months, the General Conference has rethought, revisited the approach. And we have been favored by the conference now. In what ways? This way. The Bible sets the standard in our approach to people of the non-church religious background. And that has never been take the hammer and bash them over the head. Never. Call them names. Never. Campaign against them? Never. I'll give you two examples. One of them I shared with you this morning. That Jesus was so aware of the customs of the then known world, and he would use the example, he would use something that the other person can relate to, to build a bridge. Another beautiful example is Apostle Paul. When he was visiting Athens, he went through the streets of Athens, and he noticed that in every corner of the street, the, the city, there were shrines, big, small, fancy, modest shrines dedicated to this god, to that god, to that god. I mean, Greeks, 
had about 1,200, 1,300 gods. I mean, they had gods for hair loss. They had gods for fertility. They had god of winds. They had god of fire. I mean, you name it. And they wanted to cover all the bases. Paul noticed that one corner and one street, there was a shrine, and it was empty. And there was no idol in it. But under it, it said, dedicated to an unknown God. Okay? Paul said, I will use that. What did he do? He, go, he went to the, the place that things were happening, right? He joined in, and he was given audience. And he told the people, he says, You Athenians, I noticed that you're very religious people. I mean, you have gods for everything and anything. I even noticed that you have a shrine dedicated to an unknown god. You want to cover all your bases, and I noticed you're dedicating it to an unknown god. That's the unknown god I want to talk to you about. And the Bible says, he brought the message, he brought Jesus Christ to them. Some believed, some rejected. But let me ask you a question. First of all, did Paul do the right thing or the wrong thing? He did the right thing. Even if you win one soul to the kingdom, that means you've done the right thing. The other thing, Paul, when he approached to the shrine to the unknown God, do you think that the Greeks had Jesus Christ in mind when they dedicated that shrine to unknown God? They didn't, right? So what did Paul do? He found a crack. He found a wedge to build a bridge with these people. I've come to talk to one of your gods, the unknown god. Do you see my point? And as a result of that, the whole Greek world was turned upside down by this method of Paul. Uh, having this in mind, having this approach in mind, we realize one thing. In English we say you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, right? I'm sorry, but a lot of our folk and, you know, in, in our realm of ministry, a lot of the ministers that I am familiar with, not a lot, but some ministers, I'll, I'll never forget this minister. He is pastor of one of the churches. You'll never know what church. He said, I don't mind preaching to Muslims as long as I have Bible in one hand and a baseball bat in my other hand. And he's pastoring a large church. Okay, so, you know, again, my point here is not to paint a pretty picture about a religion. No. All I'm here to tell you is this. The religion of Islam and the Quran has things to say to its adherents that we Adventists find very helpful to bring Christ to them. Okay? Now, some of the stuff I will share with you, and again, I need to reiterate this statement. Or maybe it's just one of those, um, what do you call them when um, the presenters of this program are not responsible for it? What, what do you call that? Disclaimer. Okay, so this disclaimer I'm stating ahead of time. I am not justifying anyone. I am not proving that Muhammad is a prophet of God or is not. That's not my business here. I have my views, but I'll leave those out. All I'm here to tell you is this. 
the Islamic religion and the Quran, the, the Islamic holy book, has phenomenal things to say that once being informed and if you happen to find yourself in a position, in a situation that there is Muslims, and believe you me, very soon we will all have to deal with the Islamic religion in this country. Do not, um, do not kid yourself. Uh, th this religion is here to stay, okay? And we, in, in English, we say, fix the roof when the sun is shining. We need to get proactive now rather than reactive then, which it will be far more difficult than anything you can imagine. Okay? So this is to equip you, and if the occasion arises, use it. This is a tool I'm sharing with you. I'm not here to justify a religion. I'm not here to justify a prophet. Is that understood? Is that clear? Okay. Um, In the Islamic religion, there are five very important things. They're known as the five pillars of Islam. The first one is, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. We believe, the Muslims say, we believe in one God, and He is gracious, and He is merciful. The second issue is, praise be to God, the cherisher and sustainer of the worlds, most gracious, most merciful, master of the day of judgment. Is this like... Pro, is this portraying a pagan god or a god similar to what you and I know in, in, in the Bible? Do you see? He's sustainer of the worlds, most gracious, most merciful, master of the day of judgment. The third statement. Show us the straight way, the way of those on whom you have bestowed your grace, those whose portion is not wrath and go not astray. So this is just a proclamation, exhortation, that is very close to what we do every Sabbath. I mean, here's what I need you to know. The verses, the name of the verses in the Quran are the, are the names at the bottom. Sometimes they have names, sometimes I use numbers. Look at in this verse. Yunus means Jonah. So remember that. They believe that Jonah was one of the prophets of God. Does that correspond with your understanding of Jonah? Jonah is a prophet of God. Notice what it says. If you are... And, this is God talking to Muhammad. If you are in doubt about what we have revealed to you, ask those who read the book. What book? And we will find out very shortly. Before you. So this book we have given before you, Muhammad. The truth has come to you from your Lord, therefore do not be doubter, nor shall you be one who rejects the signs of Allah, for then you shall be lost. Okay. One thing I need to explain to you. How many of you have heard that Allah, or Allah, as they say in Arabic, is a pagan moon god? That is a, a pagan god, and Muslims worship this god. You've heard this? Okay. I'm glad. Because I, I needed to reprogram your thinking on this issue. The word Allah comes from the root Aramaic world, El. Okay? Do you remember this morning we read Ishmael? Okay? Elohim? The first time that God's name is mentioned in the Bible, Elohim. Now it's plural form and all that, that's a separate subject. But the word El in Aramaic roots and in Hebraic roots means God. Okay? 
In Aramaic, at the time of Jesus, the word God was Alaha. Do you see how close it is to this word? Allah. All right. But I'll bring it to our time. We have members in our church that are Christians from Iraq. And at once, they, when they had first joined our church, one time, one of the members of this family was praying. She would do the closing prayer for the worship service. And then as she was praying, I would hear the name Allah, 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 and her. And it came as a shock. Wait a minute, I thought you guys are Christian and all that. So at, after the prayer, I asked, I said, how do you say God? She says, Allah. But I said, aren't you Seventh-day Adventist? Yeah. So how do you say God? Allah. Oh, wait a minute. So Allah is God in Arabic. Yeah. Do you see my point? Now many people think this term was created by Muslims. It was not. In our research, in my research, I found out 3rd century Arab Christians, 3rd century Arab Christians, in the manuscripts, unearthed manuscripts, they refer to God as Allah. So the word Allah existed before there was any Muhammad or before any Muslim walked this earth. So just, just as a uh, clearing. The next three, four verses, God is still talking to Muhammad. Those that have faith and keep from evil shall rejoice both in this world and in the next. The word of Allah cannot be changed. This is the supreme triumph. Chapter Yunus. Now go to the next verse. And the word of your Lord was fulfilled. A true promise. There is no altering His words. So, always remember this. What God has dictated, it's not going to change. Now, why do we use this? Now, you'll, you'll, get an, you'll get an idea. Next verse. We gave whoa, Moses and Aaron the criterion and the light remembrance to the godly. The word criterion means the law. This is from the verse in the Quran, Anbiya 21:48. We, who is we? Who is talking to the Prophet? God. Is it interesting that he refers to himself as we? Any resemblance to the scriptures? Let us create man in our own image, right? And then right after it, it says, I created this. I did this. It's so interesting that God himself goes back and forth between plural, singular. Plural and singular. Same thing happens in the Quran. Okay? And it's so interesting. It says, we gave Moses and Aaron the law. Is this true or false? Did God give Moses and Aaron the law? The, the lunch was light. It wasn't all that fatty. Did God give Moses and Aaron the law? Yes. Is this statement truth? Yes. Okay. Notice the next verse. We revealed the book of remembrance and we are its protectors. The book of remembrance basically is what was written in the life of the prophets. Okay? Later on, it has a different term for it. But it's so interesting. It says, and we are its protectors. God is telling Muhammad, I gave the word before you. I gave the law to Moses and Aaron. 
and nobody is going to change it, and I am the one that protects it. Is these, are these statements so far true or false? All you who believe, believe in Allah and His Messenger, and the book He revealed to His Messenger, that the book He revealed beforehand, before Muhammad, and whoever disbelieves in Allah and His angels, and His books, and His messengers, and the last day has gone astray. So He's clearly telling the Prophet, there are books before you. Okay? And he's, by the way, these writings are in the Quran. That means any Muslim reading this should read these passages as well. There were books given to people before Muhammad. And he revealed the book to you, in truth, confirming what is it in his hands. And he revealed the Torah and the Injil. Torah is Old Testament. Injil are the Gospels, four Gospels. Allah is mentioning these two books, the Old Testament and the Gospels, to Muhammad. Beforehand, before you. Guidance to people, they are given for guidance to people, and we revealed the criterion, the law. Those who reject signs of God have strong punishment, and God is strong and avenging. Now let me ask you a question. God is telling Prophet, He's telling Muhammad about what? The Old Testament and the Injil before you. And he said, those are not changeable. They cannot be altered. I'm the protector. And also, by the way, I gave you the law as well. Then we brought Moses the book, complete for him who does good and an explanation of everything and guidance and mercy so that they might believe in a meeting with their Lord. We gave the book. And we preferred some prophets above others. This is all in the Quran. Notice what it says. We brought David a Zabur. Zabur means psalm. We brought David a psalm. Is this true? Is this a fact? We made Esau, means Jesus, son of Miriam, follow them, a confirmer of the Torah. He confirmed the Old Testament in his possession. And we brought him the Injil. We brought him the Gospels. Now notice, there are some... Now as you notice, there are some differences from what we understand and what they understand. Jesus did not write a single book that we know. But all the Gospels were written about him, right? But let's get not let's let's not split hair. Like I said at the first disclaimer, I'm not here to prove or disprove anything. I'm just here to tell you what's in the Quran about us and about the Bible and about Jesus. Notice what it said. We brought him the Injil in which is guidance and light confirming the Torah. Did Jesus come to do away with the Old Testament or to confirm it? He said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, right? Is this corresponding to what Jesus said? Is it? In which there's guidance and Torah in his possession, and guidance and sermon to the pious. He has made your religion, God is talking to Muhammad, what he commanded Noah. Was Noah in the old scriptures? Yes. And what we inspired you and what we inspired to Abraham and Moses and Jesus. Are all these mentioned in the Bible? To uphold religion and don't be divided in it. The polytheists, meaning pagans, 
Consider what you call them to be a big deal. God chooses for himself those whom he will and guidance and guides those whom he appoints to himself. Um, do you see? There are slight deviations. But do you see the commonality? Noah, Moses, Jesus, David, Torah, Psalms, the Gospels, they are all found in this book. Now let me ask you a question. By the way, uh, I don't know if I have it in these slides. Do you know how Jesus is mentioned in the Quran? Before I answer that question, let me bring you bring to your mind a statement from 1 John. John says, if they do not believe that the Messiah has come in flesh, they are of the Antichrist. You've read that passage. If they don't believe that the Messiah has come in the flesh, in other words, if people don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, they are of the Antichrist. Is that true? That's in the Bible. That's in the first John. Do you know how Jesus is mentioned in the Quran? Isa al-Masih. Jesus, the Messiah. Masih in Arabic means Messiah. Isa is equivalent to Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Based on what we read in 1 John, do you think this book meets the criterion of Antichrist? If a book calls our Lord with his right name and last name, do you think that book should be considered Antichrist? It's not, it's not a trick question. It's a, it's a straight question. Yes? Remember, I will share with you what's in here first, and I will continue with the next file, and then some of your questions might be answered. Trust me, I do this quite often. And so one of the things to remember is this. The Quran refers to events, incidents, people, and books of the Bible. Now, if we approach this, then we look for differences or do we look for commonalities? You know, it, it only makes sense. If you approach someone from the Islamic religion and say, do you believe in the story of Noah? Yeah, we believe it. It's in our book. But you go to an atheist and say, do you believe in the story of Noah? What does he say? No, who? What? The world war flood, this and all. Give me a break. Jonah. They believe in Jonah. And the story of Jonah is in the Quran. Uh, do, have, when was the last time you saw an atheist believing in the story of Jonah? Do atheists believe in Jonah? No. But if you have a book of a religion that at large has been labeled as anti-Christian, and then you kind of go beyond this, you know, fascination of terrorism and all that stuff. You go beyond it and say, you know, your book has stories that our book has. Your book says David writes psalms. And our book says David writes psalms. Our book says Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Your book says Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Do you see? You will use what you have to build bridges, 
to build a bridge, you need two bases. Once you have these two bases facing each other and you say, you know what? They say the same thing. I say the same thing. Fine, it's got a slight difference of an accent or slight emphasis on something, but it's talking about the same incident. Why shouldn't we use this? Now, I will tell you how you can mm, realize this into a real approach. Okay? We have written in the Zabur. Zabur means what? Psalms, remember. After the book of remembrance. My righteous servants, servants will inherit the earth. And we have written for them in it, a life for a life, an eye for an eye. Where does this from? The Old Testament, right? A nose for a nose, an ear for an ear, and a tooth for a tooth, and wounds are punishment. So whoever denotes, donates it, I'm sorry. I missed it. Whoever donates it, it is a I'm sorry, propitiation for him. And whoever does not judge by what Allah has revealed is unjust. But do you see the, the rule to go by with was the Old Testament law? Is this from the scriptures? Absolutely. And we inspired you just as we inspired Noah and the prophets after him. And we inspired Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac and Jacob, and the tribes, and Jesus, and Job, and Jonah, and Aaron, and Solomon, and we brought David a Zabur. Are all these figures from the Old Testament? Are they? Those we sent before you, meaning before Muhammad, were men to whom we inspired. Now let me ask you a question. So far, what we have read, does the Quran encourage or discourage the Prophet to read the scriptures from, from the time before him. Is he basically nullifying them, or is he telling them they are good because we inspired them? He is confirming them. He is not nullifying them. He is not dismissing the books before him. He tells the prophet, this we wrote, this we wrote, this we wrote, you do good to know about all this. And they believe in what we revealed to you and what we revealed before you and they are certain of the hereafter. And we gave Moses the book and the criterion so that you may be guided. God is talking to Muhammad. How can we guide you? Through the books of Moses, the law, Torah, the first five books, right? So that you may be guided. So God is telling Prophet, your guidance comes from where? The Old Testament. They did not give God the honor He deserves, for they said, God has not revealed anything to men. Say, who revealed the book which Moses brought as light and guidance? Continuously God tells Muhammad, Moses and the Old Testament books are what you go to if you want guidance and if you want light. Are these good things that the Quran says? Are these helpful? Now so far, let me ask you a question. If you talk to a Muslim individual and you bring forth these examples, and by the way, all the verses are underneath them, okay? And you tell this individual... You know, your book says that you're supposed to look at the books of Moses to be guided. 
Did you know that? He or she may say yes or no, but no matter how they respond, your next response is, if the prophet was supposed to follow them, you are supposed to follow them. Because that's in the book. If God told the prophet, you will do good to seek guidance in the writings of Moses, therefore every, every Muslim walking on the earth should follow in those footsteps. But this is what happens. When there is no connect, there is, there is this disconnect between us and them, who can, how can they hear what you were just reading here? How can they hear it? Unless someone knows, and unless someone seeks the opportunity, and when the opportunity comes, you tell the individual, hey, you know what? This verse says, for instance, this is my favorite verse. That. No. This. Chapter of Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 53. And we gave Moses the book and the criterion, the Old Testament. You may be guided, so that you may be guided. If they seek, and if they follow this command that God gave the Prophet, if an average Muslim follows this command, which their book says. Who are they going to find? Jesus. Am I right? Jesus told the Pharisees, search all of the scriptures, and when he said this, there was no New Testament in print. I'm sorry. The books were Old Testament, right? Jesus said, search the books. They all testify of me. And if an average Muslim follows this, just this, they will find Jesus. Am I right? I mean, that's the verse. It's in the Quran, right? And if it's given to the prophet, it's given to... And I'm sorry. Okay. Notice the last one. Who had a proof from his Lord, and who chanted is a witness from him, and before it, the book of Moses, as a leader and mercy. They believe in it, and he among the parties who disbelieves in it has an appointment with hellfire. You don't believe the writings of Moses, you're going to be subject to hellfire. Is this cool or what? And so don't be in doubt, tells the prophet about it, since it is the truth from your Lord. But most people do not believe. Imagine you bring this to Muslims and says, your book says you're supposed to follow my book. And here's the verse. And by, and by the way, it's not given to you. It's written to your prophet. Do you, see, do you see what this can do? Do you see how much road this can pave? Okay, let me finish up with this file. Let's go to the next file, and I want to give you common verses that are found in the Quran and in the New Testament, word by word. I want to, I want to bring that to your attention. Take a breather, I'll be right back.
Okay. Um, we'll make this brief. Now, here's some of the verses that are in the Quran and in the New Testament side by side. And just let's go at them one at a time. Let's see if the Quran tells the truth. The Quran believes Jesus is the son of Mary. True or false? It's in here. It's in Mark 6.3. The, the Quran believes Jesus is the Messiah. Chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter, in these two chapters, Jesus is referred to as Esau al-Masih, or Jesus the Christ. Oops. Here. Mark 8.29. Jesus is the Messiah. The Quran says Jesus is the servant of God. This, this is the verse, and these are the chapters in the New Testament. Acts, in the presentation, in the preaching of Peter in the day of Pentecost, and so forth. Jesus is the servant of God. Quran says Jesus is the prophet. Mark says he is the prophet. These are two examples. The prophet to come. Remember, there was an occasion, and they say you are the prophet that was supposed to come. Remember this? The apostle of God, the chapter verses, in the Quran, Hebrew 3, 1 says Jesus was the apostle of God, word by word. The Quran says Jesus is the word of God. Is that true? John says the word was with God, the word was God, and he became flesh dwelt among us. True or false? Yes. Word of truth. Quran says, this is the second Corinthians, says Jesus is the word of truth. Scroll. Keep going. Okay. I think we missed some. Did we miss the upper portion of it? No, don't exit. Okay. Yeah, grab that. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, now here. The Quran says Jesus is the Spirit of God. Luke says he was born of the Spirit. By the way, there's five major prophets in the Quran. Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. These five prophets. Moses is called Kalimullah, meaning the one who brought the law of God. Abraham is called Khalilullah, meaning friend of God. Muhammad is called Rasulullah, meaning the apostle of God. Do you know how Jesus is mentioned? Ruhullah, spirit of God. Who do you think has the highest accolade, highest title? Spirit of God. Can it get any higher than that? The rest are referred to as beings, human beings with attributes. But Jesus is referred to as Ruhullah. He is the Spirit of God. Wow. The Quran says Jesus was a witness. Revelation 1.5 says, I'm the true witness. Mercy from God. The D is missing. Quran says, Hebrew says. Sign for all the people. Luke says it. The Quran says it. Keep scrolling. 
on this part, on here, on here. Uh huh. Great and eminent. The Quran says Jesus is. Luke says the same thing. The Quran says Jesus is righteous. Hebrew says righteous. The Quran says Jesus is holy. Acts says he is holy. Blessed. Both books say Jesus is the blessed. Now check this part out. The Quran says Jesus is the life giver. Is that true? John says he is the life giver. Scroll. He did miracles. John says he did miracles. Was led by the Holy Spirit. The Quran says he was led by the Holy Spirit. Gospels say he was led by the Holy Spirit. Scroll. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The Quran says Jesus was born of the virgin. Is that true or false? Guides people to truth. I am the truth, the life, and the resurrection. He healed people, the Quran says, the Gospels say. He raised the dead, the Quran says, Luke says. Do you see all these parallels? Can they be ignored? Can you ignore all this for the sake of the differences? I don't know. Would die for unbelievers. Was it true? Did Jesus die for the unbelievers? The Quran says, the Bible says. He was resurrected from the dead. The Quran says, the Bible says. Okay. Keep going, let me see a bit more. Aha. Uh-huh. The Quran says, Jesus ascended to heaven after death. True or false? Ephesians says the same thing. He is coming again, the Quran says. This blew me away. Look at these. The Quran says, chapter 42, verse 61, He is coming again. Act says He is coming again. Scroll, please. Knows the future. Quran says He knows the future. In Matthew, He said, Jesus said, This will happen, that will happen. Look for the wars and wars and you know, famines and all that stuff. He knows it. The Quran testifies to it. Came with wisdom. Came with wisdom. To be followed and obeyed. Jesus is to be followed and obeyed, the Quran says. Let me ask you a question. In light of all this, with the evidence, what should I do with this religion? What would you do? If you have a faith, believers of a faith, 1.6 billion strong, Growing at a rate of 8 to 2. And you have this information, this arsenal at your disposal. What would you do with it? Would you use it? Or would you shelf it? Or would you say, that stuff does not interest me? Share it. How would you share it? This is a a technique. In other words, when you go to medical school, how many medical professionals do we have here? Any doctors, nurses? Okay, my wife was a nurse. Will you use everything that you studied in your books when you work at a hospital? When you have a chance. But if you don't, you don't, right? And sometimes you forget that you knew certain things, so you go back to them. This is just a tool in your hand. When the opportunity comes, you have this tool. When the opportunity arises, and you're talking to a Muslim, 
instead of backing out, instead of saying, well, that's not my business, let the pastors deal with it, or instead of joining the, the myriads of, of Christians in this country that call Islam an antichrist religion, you would say, wait a minute, your book says Jesus has to be followed by Muslims. This is written to Muslims. The Quran is written to Muslim followers. And this book says, you must... Can I, can I see that verse? This last one. One of these last ones. Uh, go, go, go. Too far, too far. Notice here. Right here, right here. The Quran says, you need to follow Jesus. Verse, chapter 43, verse 63. Wouldn't you use this and say, you know what? Your book says you need to follow this guy. And here's the verse from your book. Here's the verse from my book. He knows the future. That's why you need to follow him because he can give you direction. He can give you. And by the way, he rose from the dead. When was the last time you saw anybody rise from the dead? No one. But your book says that Jesus was raised from the dead. My book says Jesus was raised from the dead. Your book says Jesus needs to be followed. My book says you have to follow him. But you see, it's not my book that says you have to follow him. It's your book as well says you need to follow Jesus. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you consider those assets and gems to be cherished and nurtured and used at the proper time? That is the whole gist of, of what I had to share with you. It's a very... There is two approaches to this. One is to go with sensationalism and say, but they blow people up. Okay? I know they do. Have you been to Ireland? Ever? Have you seen how Christians blow other Christians up? Have you been to Lebanon? You know, the 30-year war in Lebanon was Christians and Christians. Um... How, have you heard of the decamero? Do you know what decamero is? Does anybody know about that word? Decamero is the history of the crimes and the atrocities of the Catholic Church on the name of Christ. I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Based on research, Christians have committed most cruelty in, in world history than a Muslim would ever dream of. Okay? Now, having that, again, I'm not going to deep into this, but having this in mind, you have to realize one thing. We have to go beyond this, like I said, sensationalism, and go to the deep root of the issue. By the way, the Adventist church is known by the rest of Christian world as the people of the book. They are so picky on following that book. Don't take that as, a, you know, as an offense. It works for you rather than against you. Um, it's so interesting that St. Catherine Sentinel in 1995, about 20 years ago, had an article that those who believe that the Bible is the sole authority and it's the sole source of... Um, 
Christian life and Christian ethics and rules of living logically should join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this is the Catholic Sentinel, 1995. Not St. Catherine, but Catholic Sentinel magazine, 1995. Okay, I use that article you know, in, my, in my sermon. It's so interesting that those who believe that the Bible is the sole authority, they should be Seventh-day Adventists. Don't take that as an offense. That's a a compliment, you know? So, in overall, the Quran has very nice things to say about the Old Testament, about the Gospels, about the prophets in the Old and New Testament. Again, I'm not here to justify, I'm not here to authenticate, I'm not here to, um, to basically promote anything other than the fact that there are by the way, did you know these before? But do you know now? How does that change your thinking about Islam? How does that change your thinking? Yeah. It Here's, here's um, okay, well, I'll tell you only this much because due to the sensitive nature of what we do. Um, we have, in our network, we have people that give Bible studies in this context in Muslim mosques. In Australia, in New Zealand, and in some states in America, but I'm not at liberty to share. Okay, but in our network, we have over 100,000 Muslim believers in Christ using this methodology. Using this. That's it. I, I cannot add a single word to that. That's all. You know, it's not like I said. It's not uh, a matter of justifying, explaining theology and all that. It's, it's, you know, we're too far in the game and we're too late in, in evangelizing these people. So thank God that there were so many Adventist pioneers from the 70s and 80s that started discovering these, like Dr. Um, Darnell. I don't know if that name sounds familiar. Dr. Darnell or Ken Oster and all these guys. They were just, now they're retired. One, one is gone uh, one has Alzheimer's now, does not remember anything. But what happens, you have two choices. If you were given two choices about winning Muslims to Christ, one is the, the overwhelming uh, atmosphere that has been created in America since 9-1-1, that Muslims are antichrist. You have to watch for them. They're here to take over this country. They're, you know, suicide bombers and all that stuff. Or this. Which route do you think a Seventh-day Adventist should take? It's it's a no-brainer, right? But what happens if you don't have the education, you will be in this group. Bash them. They're Antichrist. This, 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 and all that. Look at what they do. We're, okay, look at what they do. Let's, let's be honest, I'm using an example, a live example. A 22-year-old Muslim 
with parents and two younger sisters, decides to blow up um, whatever Western military infrastructure somewhere in the Middle East. But how does he do it? He wraps himself up with 220 pounds of TNT. Shrapnels, 30 pounds of shrapnels pointing outside, inside, up, down, everywhere. And he finds his place and he blows himself up. Can you scare a guy like that? Can you scare him with anything? He says, look, man, I'm blowing myself up. What can you scare me with? Bullets? Knives? Nuclear weapon? I'm doing it myself. Imagine what happens. You take one of those people and inject the gospel of Christ into those veins. Now unleash them. See what they do. Can you scare a guy like that? No. Can you intimidate a guy like that? No. They'll turn the world upside down. If they ask me, what are you after when it comes to reaching out to Muslims? I'm after that. Those individuals, ripe, ready to receive the gospel, with the zeal that they have for this much truth, just imagine what happens if you give them the whole truth and see what happens. You see? That's what we're after. And like I said this morning, you know, statistics do not lie. Statistics and numbers tell us that the Adventist church needs to wake up. That the Adventist church should take a proactive position rather than sit on the sidelines and see what happens. No. And so, any other questions? Yes. Surah means chapter in Arabic. Remember, I said some of the chapters will have names, some of them have numbers. So, this is, S means surah, like, like chapter 43. The whole, whole Quran is in chapters. Sometimes you refer to them by names, sometimes they're just numbers. But that's what it means. If you find a Quran in English translation, which is not acceptable in the orthodoxy, but it's okay. You find a translation, you find that verse, you will see this statement. You find verse 42, 61, you will see Jesus is coming back. So, yes. Remember my disclaimer at the very beginning? I said, I'm not here to promote or justify or, or highlight the differences. I'm not. I'm here to tell you what we have in common. Remember? I said, what we have in common. Um, I'm, you know, I've been through all this, you know, in terms of you know, what they accept, what they don't accept. That's, that is, you know, like I said, that was the theme of my dissertation. But what happens, you keep that aside, you say, okay, what do we have in common? Not what are standing at sharp contrast with each other, but what we have in common. And what we have in common far overshadows what we don't have in common. Even if it's the crucial essentials, it's okay. What I'm saying is what we have in common with this religion and what is it we can do. Let me ask you a question. If you tell a Muslim about the Godhead, the Trinity, I know a lot of people in our churches don't accept the Trinity. Am I right? 
So there's a challenge right there. Do not start with the Trinity or Godhead or Son of God with a Muslim. We're already having problems ourselves. I don't have a problem with that. I accept the Trinity. I teach it. Some people can condemn me for it. Some people, that's okay. But the point is, do I start with that subject? Why don't you accept that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay. Uh, Let me ask you a question. If there was no Old Testament, nobody here would be a believer in Jesus Christ. If there was no Old Testament, nobody would have believed that Jesus is the Christ. Am I right or wrong? Because Jesus' validity of his statements and his claims and what he did was according to the Scriptures. Okay? He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Right? If it wasn't for Isaiah, nobody could say, this is talking about Jesus. Do you see? So, we do good if we follow the same pattern that Jesus prescribed. Right? Guide people, all people, to where? The Scripture. Not to us. Not to a belief system, but to the Scriptures. Once you do that, As far as I'm concerned, once you accomplish the task of bringing, the challenge of bringing a Muslim to read the Old Testament, your job is finished. God takes care of the rest of it. The rest they have to see is your lifestyle, your testimony, which is the loudest thing, right? But what we, when we engage in this, our aim is, okay, what is the best thing that I can do for a Muslim? For him to know the truth, for him to know the word of God, and for him to come into salvation, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I take him to the scriptures. And when I know their book says you have to follow the writings of Moses and the Torah and the Injil, my task will be bringing a Muslim to read the Gospels, the Old Testament, the New Testament, according to their book. And I won't engage in the Son of God issue. I won't engage in, you know, this idea that says he was crucified, he was not, you know. The differences, I think, in my opinion, pale compared to what we have in common. Again, it might sound a little, you know, troubling to some of you, but hey, you know. Yes, she has a question. Never, according to these, have they been admonished not to read the scriptures. Where does that come from? Is the oral traditions known as hadith. Or the Christian equivalent to that is catechism. Okay? An average Catholic does not read the scriptures. He or she becomes a Catholic by being catechismic. You know, just doing what the catechism says, and they become Catholics. Uh, if an average Catholic reads the scriptures, they won't be Catholics. That's just simple as that. An average Muslim, if they don't follow the oral traditions of hadith, and they follow what the Quran says, the work of winning them for the, for the Lord is thousand times easier. Thousand times easier. Yes. It's a loaded question, but I will try to itemize it as much as I can.
What is the hunger of a average Muslim? An average Muslim thinks like an average Christian. And what does an average Christian think like? Life matters, work, economy, security, health insurance, kids, school. When you go into those societies, the Islamic societies, that's what an average Muslim thinks about. Security, everyday life issues, and all that stuff. That's your average Muslim. Then you have, on the left of this spectrum, you have those Muslims that are disenchanted with Islam for a variety of reasons. On this end, you have Muslim radicals that will do anything for Islam. Okay? The majority of Muslims are considered average Muslims. Majority. From research that I did, there's only about 15, I know it sounds a lot, but it's 15 million radical Muslims worldwide. 15 million. Okay? Which are willing to, you know, do pretty much anything. 15 million compared to 1.6 billion, that's just a drop in the bucket, right? So majority of Muslims, they don't care about, you know, what the Quran says, this and all that. As long as they identify with Islam somehow, by birth, by tradition, just like an average Jew, just like an average Christian. Which makes the work that much harder. From these three categories, which do you think would be the easiest to approach with this? The disenchanted ones, the average ones, or the radical ones? Radical ones. Do you know why? Because they're the ones that ought to know their scriptures. Okay? But you have the real-life scenario, which is average Muslims. An average Muslim would hunger if he would hunger. And this is basically from what my experience has been with Muslims. An average Muslim is relying on his or her good works to secure good standing with God. Okay? And they will do just the basics to be in good standing with God. Once you approach them with a foreign religion, then that little bit of, you know, tradition starts getting inflated. They identify with with, Muslim, with Islam. Don't you approach Islam in a in in a disrespectful way, in a doubting way? No, no, no. Islam is this. I mean, they don't know a thing. They don't know the first thing about their own religion. Okay. So what do we do? We take the middle road of this strata. And this is what we do. We bring them to a knowledge of their own religion. And how do you strike up a conversation? The conversation does not strike up. Do you know what the Surah Anbiya 4321 says about the Injil and the Torah? Well, some, some of them might be, could be impressed. Oh, you know about our religion. But Muslims are communal people. They're family people. They love family setting. They love relationships. They like friendships. They love sharing meals. They love to be at home setting. You know? 
So in other words, you cannot have fast food approach to Muslims. It doesn't work that way. You know, the only method that will work for this field is the Jesus method. Remember how, remember what Ellen G. White said was Jesus' methodology? He mingled with them. He ministered to them. He won their confidence. Then he bid them, follow me. But we, we're so impatient, we say, follow me. We don't want to go through the first three stages. Just follow me. We'll do evangelism, we'll spend millions of dollars and all that stuff, and then once we don't see the result of all those baptisms, then we say it doesn't work. No, it does work. What happens, we have to go through this first three steps of caring and mingling with people. Winning their trust, winning their confidence. We have to mingle with the people. And following would be the byproduct of all this. You know? And how do you strike up a conversation? You never know when you're going to use this. You never know. You know, I usually tell, uh, a lot of people come to us and say, we want a copy of all this and all that. How can we use it? I usually uh, send a master copy to the pastor of the church and I trust his discretion in distributing the literature. Because it's sensitive stuff. You don't want it to fall in the wrong hands and to be misused. Because misusing them in India caused the life of one of our workers. You see? So what we say and what we discuss is pretty sensitive, but it is very um, applicable. To this day... I yet have to see a guy challenging me on this because I have the evidence. This is what their book says. This is what our book says. You want to prove me wrong? Prove me wrong. And there's no. All they do is some sentimental thing that gets mixed up in our prejudice and biases, and all that starts distorting this view. But that's what I said. You know, we have to be careful. But this is what we have at our disposal. This is what we can use. You know, so you never know how the occasion arises. You never know where the conversation could lead. But you always want to be respectful of their religion. You always want to be accepting, tolerant, and at the same time, vigilant. You never know what the conversation can bring up. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring to your memories the things that you have learned. So, any questions? Any other questions? Yes. I will give it, I will send a copy to the pastor, and and I will have him, you know, distribute that. Either make copies on disc, or you know, just you know, print it and give it to you guys, and so forth. Um, what I strongly recommend is whenever I do these seminars, I insist that you keep that information to yourself. Don't mass distribute them. Keep it to yourself, since you've been in the seminar. Since you've been in the seminar, then you know the sensitivity. So you can keep it to yourself. Um, but that's how I do it. I send a master copy to the pastor, and he can distribute. Yes, you have uh, 40 study guides on our website, which goes into far more detail than what I have said. And it's basically, if you've gone through the 40 study guides, that means you have done uh, four year worth of university work on this. So, and it's for free. We're not charging anyone. Okay. Any other questions? Good. Can we have a closing prayer? Okay. 
Father in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for the honor and the privilege in being in this house of worship. And I thank you for all these wonderful people who have taken the time this afternoon from their rest, come here and to listen to what we have discovered most effective in winning Muslims to your son and to your kingdom. Use us for your glory, Father. Guide us, as your prophet Ellen G. White said, guide us into more light unto that day. And use this information at its proper time and occasion and give us thinking minds, give us considerate, prudent minds that we may be useful instruments in your hands, guided by your Holy Spirit. Because we never know who you would bring on our paths. But let us be equipped, ready, willing, and empowered with your Holy Spirit and to be parts, a tiny part, in finishing your great commission. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.